welcome to Highway Freaks, Real Truckers, Real Life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host from British Columbia, Canada, J-Man the Snarl, and Motorhead Mark from Calgary, Alberta, Canadian lady trucker Janet, and my producer Winged Will from Washington, D.C., the pink bombshell, and Powder Springs, Georgia, it's Birdman Bruce. We do our visits with you during loads, trips, sharing topics from celebrities, road stories, landmarks, and people in the news. We are Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. Yes, we are real truckers, real life. This is Highway Freaks, visit number 39. And welcome all you freaks out there uh, listening to our podcasts on, well, Spotify as a good example. Uh, we do have some links I have also posted on my Facebook. This is Bright Guy, your road dog host. And um, if you have any questions or whatever regarding how you can listen to us, uh, just send your comments to www.highwayfreaks.com or uh, will we have another intro uh, for the email as well, don't we? Um, yeah, there's the road crew 2022 at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay. All right. So welcome road crew. We are going to ask how everybody's week went. It's been one heck of a week. We were dealing with everything from tornadoes to hot weather to bees. So this will be very, very interesting. Um, I want to give you an update real quickly on the Carberry Manitoba crash that killed 16 seniors. The handy bus driver was 100% at fault, and the truck driver from Dan Ross has been absolved of any wrongdoing. Kind of funny, though. You're not getting his name as well. Uh, another update I want to give you is on Kristen McDonald, a.k.a. Ava Jane. She was fired by Terry Fox Secondary Elementary School in Port Coquitlam, and she's had that job since 2015. She's a special needs teacher, and she's making less than 55 grand per year. And uh, she was told to take down her OnlyFans account on um, basically, uh, or, or, or face termination, I should say. And basically what she was telling me was she's earning $1,000 every two weeks working 10 months of the year as a teacher's assistant. And she was on Podcast 34. She could tell her story, and you can relive it there. And uh, the last thing I'm going to say is Kristen says, if I'm going to be fired for having a content creator account, why are my colleagues going to be disciplined for having a subscriber account to my OnlyFans account, which she has definitive proof of? The rebuttal was, well, that's not the same as watching the videos than actually making them. What a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, you can relive Kristen's stay, like I said, in visit number 34. And I'm also happy to say, guys, she will be joining our panel as a part-time podcaster, and uh, she will be known as Ava James, just like you're known as Pink, Pink, which we uh, uh, refer to you as as well. Topics tonight, guys. You want to tell us what's on your mind here first, Bruce? What's your what's uh, what's what you what are you going to be talking about? What I wanted to originally uh, bring up was the number of DOT mandated blitz weeks that they they seem to be bringing up. In addition to the horrendous parking situation going on in at least the lower 48, I know most of you that are drivers probably transit the U.S. and I don't know if you want me to start going into it or wait until the right time. Okay. I'll, I'll let, I'm sure. 
Okay, go ahead. You let me know. I'll, I'll let you know for sure. Um, when when it's your turn, I'll I'll, okay. take, I'll stand by. Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, Canadian lady trucker Janet, what uh, is what's irking you tonight? Well, I have two subjects that are kind of intertwined. One is the BC port strike, and the other is the freight recession. Yes. Yes. And I will definitely be adding to that because I'm sitting in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I was supposed to be gone tomorrow, but I'm not. So, yes, I will definitely add my two cents to that or three. Pink, we'll definitely want to hear what you have got on your mind. Well, I'm going to be talking about the longest tunnel in Virginia, and I'll be giving you some details and history and current uh, plans for the tunnel. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. And I know, Will, you've got five bills to watch for in Parliament that the Liberals are going to piss more people off of, from what you told me, as well. Okay. Yeah. I did I did have e-log scheduled for my topic, but I want to do a better job on it. Um, so I will be talking about that next week. So I will go on with my continuing saga of the urban legends of the United States. But I'm going to ask all the truck drivers their most craziest moment in truck driving in their career so far or what happened. And will you get to be included in that because you were a passenger with your mom uh, for quite some time. So, yeah, yeah there's I, some good moments there. Yeah, I, so, uh, I worked with her. For- good. Excellent. So, yeah, so we got lots of good topics tonight uh, to talk about and lots of banter, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Plus, we are featuring two amazing musical artists. Brad Turner, formerly of Helix, now my wicked twin. He is uh, just a great interview. Will and I did this last Friday. I just, the word that comes to mind was eclectic and so funny. Uh, this guy has got stories, and uh, he will be on the Eye Opener, the new podcast interview show, which is on Highway Freaks tonight. And we are also going to feature music from Brent, as well as a new artist to our show that uh, we are proud to be part of and affiliated with, named GM Blacktop. He's the real deal, guys. He is not only a truck driver and singer, but he is now signed to Indie Tunes Records. We're very happy to have him on board. And that was the uh, theme song that you just heard uh, from GM Blacktop called Diesel Kind of Guy. And uh, we've got some great music from him that we're going to feature tonight as well. So just a little bit of mix of everything, uh, which is really good. So let's start with... um, well, let's just start with some topics and get on, get right on it. So I think we're going to start tonight with Canadian Lady Trucker Janet. All right. So the first topic I have is the BC port strike. Now, this has been going on for a while. I'm not quite sure exactly for how long. Um, but it's gone on long enough <clears throat> that the business groups are actually calling on the federal government to legislate Longshore workers back to work, feeling that potential effects on domestic and international supply chains are going to be affected. Um, they say that more than 150 vessels are stalled at the port of Vancouver, and as a result, um, as recently as July 3rd, another 55 were scheduled to arrive. Now, 7,500 international longshore 
and Warehouse Union Canada uh, Union Canada workers are off the job at this point in time. Um, and they say that more than $800 million worth of cargo flows through the port on a daily basis during the times that they're actually up and running, I guess. Um, not only that, but Canada exports 95% of all the potash that we produce through the port of Vancouver to more than 75 countries. So at this point, um, they're still doing picket lines. Nothing's moving in or out. So that could definitely be leading to my second topic on the freight recession. And I definitely want to interject on that because I cannot believe what's been going on in the last month. Uh, I did 8,000 miles, which is not like me when I'm usually out for six weeks at a time. And the freight has uh, disappeared, to be honest with you, Janet. Uh, I've seen uh, that even with our company. Uh, more and more drivers are sitting for longer periods of time. Yeah. And, it, I mean, when I go into the yard and there's, you know, a ton of trucks sitting there, ton of trailers and only a small portion uh, I'd have to say less than 25% of the trailers are actually loaded. So that's not a good sign. No. And what I get, this is the excuse I keep getting, and I don't get this. Maybe you can clarify this. Oh, well, they decided not to have the freight this week, so they put it off for two weeks. Now, is that just a crock of shit, or is 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 somebody just you know is this piss poor planning or or what do you think it is no i i think what's happening because i mean let's face it through covid everybody started ordering online because you couldn't get into the store right so that portion of it has continued you know maybe not as much but it's still higher than it was pre-covid and i think what's happening is a lot of these places just still have so much stock that they just, they got nowhere to put it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they didn't have a bidding war. And then they, they, you know, you say, I'll take that freight for, you know, X amount of dollars a mile. Bruce, do you have anything to add to this uh, topic? Well, listen, I deal with it firsthand because I've got trucks on the road as well as my own. And part of what you said is true. There is an overabundance of stock in a lot of warehouses. Yeah. They just don't need it. Because consumer uh, consumption has dropped. So without demand, they don't need the shipping. And then you have trucking. They, they blossomed. They added freight. They added drivers. They did all this stuff. They brought in all the equipment. And then freight dropped. So now you have an abundance of trucks, company drivers sitting there. They want to load. And the van market, the reefer market, that's, that's full. Yeah. I mean, it's only recently that eggs have finally taken a, a tumble because usage dropped and now supply has increased because of the problem that they had with the uh, egg layers. But yeah. now that's coming back in and prices have dropped. But those dry vans and reefers, they just don't need to move the freight. They don't have the market for it. Yeah. Well, and on, the only, and on the top of that, too. The only market that's really moving is the, the niche market. Yeah. Yeah, Which that's is, true. You know, specialty specialty loads, uh, flatbed, step deck, double drop, drop deck. Yeah, those are still moving because that's specialty items. That if you're doing stuff, you need that stuff moved. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, and you add in like 
you know, the subject I just mentioned with the ports being down in BC, uh, I mean, we get oh, so much shipped into those ports that then get redistributed and shipped from, you know, a secondary warehouse that we end up loading on our trailers and off we go. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that just isn't able to come in because of that strike as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I can tell you, it's, it's put a huge, huge dent in my paycheck. And uh, when your dispatchers are making more than the truck drivers, there must be something wrong in this world. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. You know, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I'm heading to Tremont in Utah on Saturday, but I got a drop in Denver, and tomorrow Bandit and I are going to be uh, having a, a very unplanned reset. I mean, uh, I enjoyed the reset last week with my mom, but uh, back in Woodstock, Ontario, but uh, I definitely didn't want another reset uh, tomorrow, so that was kind of unplanned. Um, so uh, we'll get to Will's topic very shortly, but I think we should feature a song from the man himself, GM Blacktop. And this is the real McCoy. I was born the son of a preacher man. I learned a good book in school. Mama taught me about love and manners. Elvis taught me to be cool. Well, it didn't take long till my hair got long. That's risky for a minister's boy. It may not like the way I look, my buddy, I'm the real McCoy. I spent 12 years in a semi-truck hauling ass up and down the road. I learned the ways of a gypsy man. I got whipped and stripped and bowed. From every coast And I damn sure made some noise Ain't not like the way I am My buddy, I'm the real McCoy There's something about a man That you just can't touch It burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet But what you wanna call it Is sitting there in his eyes Show me And I've turned my back on fools I've been drugged to mud Spit out blood Fought when I've had no choice I may not like the way I've been My buddy, I'm the real McCoy There's something about a man That you just can't touch It burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet Or what you want to call it You're sitting there in his eyes You just can't touch it, burns from the soul inside. You can't 
can't hide behind a wallet Or what you want to call it It's sitting there in his eyes When you look in the mirror It might get clearer Remember the preacher's boy Can you say I like the way I am But I'm the real McCoy Are you uh, 
kind of in a stalemate. Yeah, it's being attempted, and I don't know if you saw the bill that Florida is now putting out, or they're attempting to, where they're saying that driver's licenses from known five states, and I don't remember which five it is off the top of my head, but I just read it tonight, that they are now saying that they will not recognize five states' driver's licenses because they don't agree that they're doing proper checks and balances on who they're giving license to because they're saying we're going to give it to illegal immigrants and the whole shooting match. And I think people have taken it too far with, you know, saying that our country, this is the United States, was founded on immigration. And to be fair, it was. Don't talk to the indigenous population because they don't agree. But they say they were already there. But the European population came in, and now they're saying, well, but now we need to put another check and balance on the borders. And that's the Canadian border as well as the southern U.S. border, because you have illegals coming in from both sides. But are are they bringing in more progressive, uh, socialized policies? They're trying to look at states like California, look at states like New York, look at uh, Minnesota. They're, they're pushing forward an agenda, and they're, they're, they're making no bones about it. They're saying, we're pushing these agendas through because we don't know if we're going to be in power next, uh, next Congress. So we're going to get as much as we can and give as much as they can. And that's what they're, they're trying to push through. And the worst one is this, uh, uh, the, the sexual agenda that they're, they're pushing with who they're recognizing and they're making changes. They're pulling down statues from history. You can't erase history. History happened, but they're pushing it. And they're, they're actually making, implementing changes. And I, you know, I, my I, own I point, agree. I disagree I, wholeheartedly. I just was in a bathroom the other day and I couldn't believe what the sign on the bathroom said. What do you think it said, guys? What's that? All gender. All gender. That's that's the new label on the bathroom doors. Where were you? You know what? Here's the bizarre thing. I was actually in a place called Hearst, Ontario. And when I went to the bathroom, it said all gender. I was like, oh, that's something really quite different. So... I, I don't know. I'm not liking the way uh, both countries are proceeding uh, their form of government, and we will leave it that, at that because uh, if we could get into a discussion that would take the next podcast, so we definitely yeah. won't get into that. So, But I do want to talk to Pink about her topic on tunnels, but before we do that, let's get back to another song. This one is from Brent Turner, formerly of Helix and now my wicked twin. Okay, so this is a song from Brett Derner. It's called Give and Take. Thank you. 
one day, doctor way. Just because we check the guns at the door doesn't mean our brains will change from hand grenades. You love another psychopath sitting next to you. You love another murderer sitting next to you. You think I'd get here sitting next to you? But after all I've said, please don't forget. Have a certain smell. Yeah, trust issues, not to mention. They say they can smell your intentions. You laughing on the freak show sitting next to you. You laugh some weird people sitting next to you. You think I did not get here sitting next to you. But after all I've said, please don't Hampton Roads and is part of the Hampton Roads Beltway. 
Um, this one, it says that it has, um, it says 14 feet, 6 inches clearance on the eastbound, uh, 13 feet and 6 inches on the westbound. It has four lanes total, two westbound, two eastbound. Um, prior to the opening of this tunnel, um, the Virginia Department of Transportation, aka VDOT, operated ferries to carry vehicle traffic across the harbor from the south side to the peninsula. There were two routes, one, one from Hampton Boulevard near Naval Station Norfolk to downtown Newport News, and a second, less popular route from Willoughby Stitt to Fort Monroe in Hampton. Traffic at the time was typically about 2,500 vehicles per day. The original two-lane structure opened in November 1st, 1957, at a cost of $44 million, uh, which is uh, equivalent to $329 million in 21 as a tall facility. As population and traffic grew, construction on a parallel bridge tunnel facility began in 1972. The construction of the $95 million, uh, second portion of the tunnel was funded as part of the interstate highway system as authorized under the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1996 as a portion of 164, which means that it was funded with 90% Federal Highway Administration funds from the Highway Trust Fund and 10% VDOT fund. The second span opened on November 1st, 1976 as a toll-free roadway. Um, talk to you about the design a little bit. The tunnel has two 12-foot wide lanes each way on separately built bridge tunnel structures. The bridge tunnel was originally signed as State Route uh, 168 and US 60. It later received the 164 designation when the second plant spanned um, opened in 1976, and much later, SR-168 was truncated south of the crossing. The center line of the tunnel crossed a naturally deep channel ranging from 50 to 60 feet deep and 1.5 miles wide, with water only 6 to 10 feet uh, deep within, between the edge of the deep channel and each shore. Um, part of the design features of the tunnel involved the use of artificial islands or the tunnel portals at the place where Hampton Road flows into the Chesapeake Bay. The Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel South Portal Island connects to about 20 acres of land that is the site of Fort Wool, a fort during the U.S. Civil War, World War One, and World War Two, and a public park since 1970. Fort Wool is on an artificial land island, excuse me, known as Rickrats, created in 1818. There's a small uh, eastern causeway that connects Fort Road to the Tunnel South Portal Island, including the island across the navigational channel of the mouth of Hampton Roads from Old Point Comfort was created for Fort Calhoun, uh, which is a portion of the Fort Monroe complex named Fort Wolf. So modern day, um, there had been a couple of um, incidents in the in the tunnel. Uh, there was one. The first one was uh, July 20, 
2009, um, the westbound tube partially flooded after a thunderstorm hit the Hampton Roads region. The flooding was caused by a failed water main, which burst and led a chamber below the tunnel roadway to fill with millions of gallons of water. Pumps designed to remove water from the chamber were overwhelmed, and water began to puddle on the roadway, forcing VDOT to close the tunnel for nearly seven hours during the day of July 2nd, 2009. The other incident was in July 2016, which was a vehicle crash and fire. Uh, a two-car collision between a Volkswagen Passat and an Acura occurred three-quarters of the way inside the eastbound tunnel, which travels from Hampton to Norfolk. The Acura was rear-ended by the Passat. Both vehicles burst into flames and filled the tunnel with smoke, leaving 35 vehicles stuck inside the tunnel behind the scenes. Because neither of the tunnels had escape walkways, 80 drivers and passengers were required to walk out of the tunnel through the smoke leaving their vehicles behind. While four others were taken to the hospital, 15 people were treated on the scene for smoke inhalation. The fires caused moderate to major damage to the walls of the tunnel, which VDOT repaired through nightly road work at the tunnel. They're talking about expansion plans now. Hang on. Just wait yeah, for a minute. Uh, Could you just made me think of a great movie when it comes to tunnels. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, but did you ever see that movie with Sylvester Stallone? Uh, it's called Daylight, and where he's stuck in a tunnel, and uh, because the cars all collapse, uh, yep. or the tunnel collapse, and then the cars. You ever see anybody ever saw that? Vaguely familiar. Very very good movie. Because uh, I was going to ask you, that was the next question I was going to ask you: is how how do they stop that stuff? How do they prevent that stuff from happening? You just mentioned that it's been flooded before, and and. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, those are big-ass long tunnels. Like, uh, I've been through them, and I've always thought, well, what happens if something happens? You're really trapped in there, aren't you? Well, oh, yeah. I mean, I've been through that tunnel multiple times, and I'll, I'll have to tell you, I'm not a fan of tunnels. I <laughs> I have anxiety um, over tunnels. Um, so, um, yeah, but they're fascinating. It feels like this endless, under the water journey, oh, that, you know, so once you go through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I just want to mention that they're thinking about expanding the tunnel. Uh, so in 2016, they they approved a $3.3 billion project, expansion project plan to expand both directions to have a four lanes, four lanes give each you more direction. anxiety, I think. To give you more anxiety, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, give you some more, you know, connection fits and whatnot, right? Yeah. So yeah. that that's what I have for the evening. But you know, I was looking into Canada, like to see if there are any long tunnels there, and I think I found one that was like something about uh, what was the Canada thing? It's called um. Oh, to the uh, hole underneath the water. I don't even know. Crossing at the border crossing. Yeah. I don't even know how to say it. It's the border crossing below the Ambassador Bridge. Uh, there's a tunnel, and uh, I made the mistake one time of actually going uh, to that tunnel with a, a reefer van, and oh my gosh, that, that, you would have thought it was World War III. Uh, well, you, also, you also have that tunnel over in Delta, too, in B.C. Yeah. 
very low tunnels. Only flatbeds can get through them. Word of caution, guys. Don't ever drive a reefer through a tunnel. It won't work. They're low for a reason. Yeah, I blocked traffic that day. I, I almost made the 6 o'clock news. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, my that God. That wasn't for a good reason. So, yeah, no, t- tunnels are great. Uh, as far as what we have in Canada, the only thing I can talk to you about is, is the tunnels up in Rogers Pass, and they're very short. They're actually more snowsheds than tunnels because you go underneath them, and the avalanche is for avalanche control, and that's basically the snow will go over these tunnels, and the idea is, of course, they're not going to block the roadway. That doesn't always happen, but yeah, yeah. I was fascinated with tunnels, and uh, we even had talked about a very haunted tunnel on Urban Legends uh, a few podcasts back, so great. That's good. Anybody else got anything to add about our, our, our little dialogue on tunnels? I don't like them. <laughs> I'm not a fan myself. How about you, Bruce? You like tunnels? Are you a tunnel guy? I'm from Brooklyn, New York originally, and I grew up around the Brooklyn Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel, and all those were commonplace, and I never had a problem with it. And going through it, I mean, I never drove a truck through it because they're low ceilings, so you can't. And not that I go into New York City that often anyway, but I never had a problem with tunnels. Yeah, I, okay. I, I for one, why? Well, they're, 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 they're just, I don't know, they're, they're just a different feeling. As soon as you enter there, especially on a hot day, as soon as you enter the tunnel, it's like instant relief. And then, like, I, I, I don't know, I'm just, like, I, I'm claustrophobic, but I'm not, like, I, I don't not like tunnels. Like, the, the tunnels, uh, going out to Kelowna from Calgary are just, like. Yeah, those are the snowsheds. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pretty cool to, 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 to go into. I don't know, I, I, I just like tunnels. Okay. Alright. So, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it. So, you know, the longer ones kind of freak me out, you know, especially like, I have been through the ones in Virginia, and, uh, they are long, man. They are very long, and they're very narrow. So when you get somebody beside you, like another 18-wheeler, then you get kind of concerned. That's 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 the best thing I can say. So, okay, excellent. So let's move on, and let's talk about, I uh, believe, my topic. And I want to know, guys, what is your craziest moment in truck driving uh, as your career now, Bruce, you have a great story. I want it, I want people to know about your bees. So I definitely want them to. I want you to tell them your little recent experience with bees, because not many people haul bees on a flatbed. Do you want to care to elaborate? Hauling bees is it's never done in a closed trailer or reefer trailer. Uh, it's always done on a flatbed, mainly because where you're picking up from and where you're going, you definitely do not want to have to haul it out only from the back and try to feed them out, that would, uh, it, it, it would be a cluster. You wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't want to deal with it. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw the pictures. Uh, I, I do post them on our, uh, our company um, Facebook group, but when you finally do remove the tarp, they swarm and they are, they've been cooped up for however many days. And I had a 2000 mile run with them from South Georgia all the way to Montana or uh, North North Dakota, I believe. Um, and after that 2,000 miles, they were anxious to get out. 
but the event that uh, uh, Brian was talking about, I was pulling off a ramp uh, off the expressway, and I don't remember where I was, and one of the straps let go from the top, and it allowed, allowed one of the uh, hives to tumble forward, and it fell into just a, a, a nook or cranny, and it was turned sideways. That definitely riled up the bees. So I had to don my bee suit, pull the top off, at least slightly, and be able to write the thing. It took me hours to deal with, and meanwhile, the bees were going crazy. Uh, it was definitely not a good night, and that was last Thursday. Uh, during the podcast, I was dealing with it, and it was definitely not a fun evening. It took me roughly seven hours to get everything sorted out and get a smoker that I could use, and I had to call somebody that had a local beehive, and they came over and they assisted me. If it wasn't for them, I don't know how I would have done it. It was definitely a learning experience. Has anybody out there, trucker, ever called these? Uh, no, nobody here. But I do know, I was going to say, you, you, were, yes. you, drove, you drove what I will call illegally, legally. You want to explain that? I, I couldn't follow HUS rules because if you're hauling bees, you are relegated to driving sun up to sun down. And obviously Crazy. that expands past your 11-hour uh, maximum. And I'll tell you, the way stations that were open when I came through, because I was driving during the day, I was pulled into one of them. And when they saw what I was pulling up with, the guy came out and flagged me and said, go, get out of here, go. <laughs> they didn't want me to stop. I don't blame so, them. <laughs> I, I, I yelled out, I said, can you check the strap for me? He said, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh my God. Wow. But it was, it, it was a really horrendous uh, trip. It, it really was. I'm doing it again. Uh, but you really do have to gear up for it because you have to drive all day. And I don't mind. I, I, can, I have a pension for long hours, and I can do it. But sometimes with all the other intricacies that go into it, it was a very long, arduous 17 hours. Well, you see, I have this mental picture right now. You in your bee suit with your cape, uh, say, bee man on the back of it or something. You know, I kind of kind of think you're now the... Uh, the ultimate superhero trucker. Well, I'm taking donations for my uh, my coming out as the superhero. Uh, <laughs> but just so you know, there is there is a technical uh, a term for it. It's called an agricultural exemption. So you oh. are just like uh, cattle haulers, yeah. uh, pig haulers. They are exempt from a lot of rules, uh, and we are too. In fact, we are so exempt they don't want us anywhere near the way station. Yeah. In fact, there are some uh, truck stops that put up signs that we will allow bee haulers only to the ability to park only after 9 p.m. and before 5 a.m. It's so, like talking about being the redheaded stepchild. It's like, damn. So, 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 so you're, you're WSEF. You know what that stands for, right? Waystation exempt car. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> well, you know... According to GM Blacktop, you just don't know. She was sitting there pretty with her hair all up. 
shoes and jumped on in Acting like a couple of teenage kids Looking at falling in love for kicks The sun went down and so did I I took a little trip in paradise Yeah, cause you gotta try I put the roof up, the windows down Took off my shades and looked around Take me out because I was on his turf. Well, you know, 
Will was kind of, you know, naive to the fact that, you know, Bloods and Chris were actually like hard because, you know, 98% of the, those, 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 those idiots can't, can't shoot a gun. Um, but anyways, I like, I'm like, okay, whatever. I, you know, this, this, this guy just, you know, threatened my life and, and, and the, the girl's like, oh no, no, he, he's not from around here and whatever. So she told me, you know, uh, I advise you to go back to the truck and just wait in there. So I did. And not even, like, I, I didn't know what to think about this. I was like, yeah, this is, bull-. but <clears throat> I get back to the truck uh, I think me and mom were, uh, in there eating lunch or something. And, uh, we, we go back in to the, um, to the, to the gas station and we find out that not even five minutes after we left, that gas station had been robbed for pretty much everything, including, you know, TVs and whatever else those truck stops, truck stop gas stations have, whatever. But, you know, I, uh, the moral of the story is, you know, don't go into, um, you know, check ch- ch- check out the areas be- before you go into them. This is why I like I, I do research on people. Um, I I I was literally naive. I I went into the the, the wrong, on the wrong turf with the wrong colors and almost got shot for it. If it wasn't for that cashier, I I would have been I wouldn't I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I can I can add a little bit more to that too. Um, <clears throat> that morning I had been speaking with the young lady that had approached Will. And she actually worked there. And because we had a dog that was in the truck that was pregnant, and she was acting like she was going to deliver her pups any day. And we still had a three-day drive home to Calgary. So she managed, this young lady managed to get us some whole bunch of newspapers and and garbage bags so that we could cover everything up just in case (laughs) this dog had her puppy. So... Um, it just so happened that the young lady had seen me with Will earlier, so she had also asked, he's not part of the gangs out here. I said, no, no, we're from Canada, <laughs> you know, like, no, and that's what she, because Will kind of was really excited and, you know, things weren't quite making a lot of sense when he came to talk to me, so when she talked to me, I went, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's it was scary. It was definitely scary. So, in other words, Will, you look like J-Rock from the Trailer Park Boys. Oh man, it it was like worse than that. Like that that back then, I I I, I had like bandana going on and do rag going on, and yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I I I I I used to do stuff in 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 Canada, right? But I I mean, I have no connections to the U.S., so I was like. I was just dumbfounded because, like, I mean, down here uh, with the gangs, they'll they'll just like say, "Hey, man, like, pick up your colors." They 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 don't just like say, "Hey, there's colors, let's shoot," <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Well, see, what right. he also didn't realize is how close we were to Chicago, because <laughs> oh. Monet is just outside Chicago, like literally just on the south side. So I, I got one. I got one. Hank, you're going to laugh your butt off on this. You're going to have to mute this one. I'm probably the only guy that hauled chickens that had a chicken groupie. You did what to the chickens? <laughs> no, no, you no. had a chicken what? You explain. I, I am the only guy that had a chicken groupie. And I, uh, yeah, I will explain this. So um, I, I was hauling chickens uh, out of Calgary uh, prior to uh, to to doing uh, the long hauling. And um, so anyway, 
uh, I'll never forget this. The Lilydale plant was downtown Calgary. Right beside the Lilydale plant was a bar. You guys might remember this. It was a, kind of a seedy bar. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. It got torn down. But there was a lot of women that frank- frequented that bar. So I came in one night, and it was like about 2 in the morning. And uh, as I'm, I'm pulling around the bar to go into the plant, I see this really drunk young lady, and she she's going, oh, 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 stop, 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 so stop. I was like, what? And I, I had my window down, and she goes, oh, I got to go pet the chickens. Oh, I have to pet the chickens. So she started climbing up on the trailer, and, like, she was putting her fingers in between the cages and petting the chickens. So, oh, I want one of these so bad. Can I have one? Oh, can I please? And she left nothing. And I mean nothing to the imagination of what she was wearing under her miniskirt as she was crawling up the side of the cage. So pretty much everybody could see at 2 o'clock in the morning what she was wearing underneath. And uh, it was pretty much her birthday suit. Okay, put it that way. But she, whoa, I want this, I gotta have this chicken. Can I pet this chicken? Oh, please let me pet this chicken. Can I have one? Can I have one? Can I have one? And, and I, all the other truck drivers are just looking at like, that that girl's chicken groupie. And they started, they, they, they jokingly said that I had a chicken groupie. And um, I got her off the truck. And, uh, you know, she was so, so inebriated. So inebriated. Okay. And, um, um, needless to say, I, I, she, I said, well, do you, you need to ride somewhere? She goes, I want a chicken. I want a chicken. I want a chicken. I said, I can't give you chicken. She goes, well, I don't want a chicken. Then I don't want anything to do with you. And then she went back to the bar. And that was it. The end of the story. Um, the other fun story that I had when I was hauling chickens, and this, is, this defies explanation, but Cabela's had just opened up in Canada. Everybody loves Cabela's in the States. But in Canada, the Cabela's is nowhere near the same as the States. But nevertheless, I was hauling chickens that morning, and of course, you always get the chickens back to the plant. Not good old Bry guy. He decides he's going to, you know, be the first in line, the first hundred in line to get these uh, Cabela's gift certificates that were anywhere from 25 to $500. So, uh, and I don't even know how I got away with it, but I parked the, the, the you know, the, the double B train with the chickens on the side of the road that morning and uh, right behind the Cabela's, and I decided to get in line and see if I can get a $500 gift certificate with the chicken. You know, I took all the tarps down, so the chickens had airflow and everything. But, uh, yeah, I waited in the line for two hours. I got myself a $25 gift card and uh, came back, and the chickens were all happy, and I was kind of a spectacle. People are kind of looking like you don't normally see a chicken truck parked behind the Cabela's on the side of the road, but that's uh, that was my uh, my story. So... Anybody else got any crazy stories trucking or know of any Wait. crazy trucker stories? <laughs> Go ahead, Hank. Wayne Brian, did, did you get your chicken choked that night? Ooh. <laughs> 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 I'm high-fiving you, Hank. <laughs> oh, dang. I had to come back with one. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. that i deserve yeah. that i have a good one of course okay my my early years 
Um, actually, okay, hang on. My... I'll, I'll, I'll let you get to that, but we got to get a song from Brent Derner called Gone Nomad. Um, 
but I pulled into this receiver and I go in and I, I talk to the guys in, in receiving. And the guy goes, well, I'm not going to deal with you. And I'm kind of going, what do you mean? He says, go get your husband. I said, you fuck, you go get him. You go get him. So I'm standing there and I'm starting to laugh. And there's a couple other drivers and some of the ship receivers there. And they're all looking at me kind of funny, like, what are you laughing at? I said, just wait, you'll see. So he goes wandering over to the truck, climbs up on the truck, knocks on the window. Of course, my dog always stayed in the bunk. Well, he knocked on the window and she come flying at the window and he landed on his butt so hard. Comes back with a sheepish look on his face. He goes, I'm sorry, I'll take your paperwork now. I said, really? You think you deserve it? <laughs> and meanwhile, everybody's given this guy a hard time, right? And I, I mean, I've had a lot of times too where I've loaded at a shipper and another driver is there and he goes, your husband should be chaining that down. No. What husband? Well, your other half, the one that's in the truck. I said, you want to go? Go ahead. Go get him up. You know, meanwhile, I'm still swinging the chains and tying everything down. And, uh, of course, you know, same thing happens. But, you know, this just goes to show you women can do the job just as good as men can. Okay. So I, I spent the weekend, a long weekend in Houston one time. I was waiting to get reloaded. And uh, pulled into the Houston Flying J. Uh, this is many, many years. Again, early to mid-90s. And parked way back in Party Row. Left the dogs. I had a couple of dogs in the truck. And I had gone in to go have a shower and grab some beef. And with that, um, I go in. I have my shower. I'm sitting down. I'm about halfway done my meal. And someone comes running in. The cops have got their guns drawn. There's a dog got this guy on the ground. And I'm going, what kind of dog? He goes, it's a Rottweiler. I said, no. So I said to the waitress, I said, I'll be right back. Okay. Um, at the time I had my truck dog was a Rottweiler and I get out there and I'm, I'm, as I'm getting closer, I realize it's my dog. It's Cherokee. And he's got this big guy down on the ground. <laughs> Guys, well over 400 pounds, huge guy. Cops have got their guns drawn because they don't know what to do. The dog hasn't drawn blood. He's got the guy down on the ground by the neck. And the guy's eyes are just wide, like he's just terrified. Eh? He's already, you know, had a little bit of an accident. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm going, no, no, don't shoot my dog. Don't shoot my dog. Of course, the dog hears my voice and looks up, wags his tail, and trots over to me. Took the cops a few seconds to realize the thing that this guy was no longer pinned and the dog was no longer a danger, so they all pile on top of him. And the guy that was in the truck next to me comes over and he goes, do you know what happened? I said, no, I have no clue. I said, I just got here. <laughs> he says, well, I'll tell you, because I was in the truck right, parked right next to you. I said, really? What happened? So he says to me, he says, well, I seen this guy and he was playing around with your door lock on the passenger. I said, okay. I, he says, Meanwhile, you've got your two dogs, and they're bouncing the truck back and forth, and this guy's still, you know, trying to break into the truck. And he says, and your Rottweiler started pouncing at the window. Now, I had a lot of uh, cracks, chip, rock chips, and they had spidered a little bit already. And it was a T600 at the time that I was driving, so split windshield, so the one side in, on the passenger side was all chipped up and stuff. And... 
the plan was to get it fixed when I got back. Well, ended up I had to get it fixed before that because every time Cherokee jumped at the window, the cracks would splinter further and further out till he finally literally pushed the window, the windshield, right out. And I guess he was leaning down through that open space, looking down at this guy, and the guy finally realizes that the movement stopped, I guess. And he looks up and he sees Cherokee, and of course he's got a big rotty, you know, 95-pound rot. I'm not massive, but the jowls, and he's just looking down at him. And, I mean, he's like, hey, play toy, you know, play thing. <laughs> um, and the guy, instead of running to the back of my trailer and into the woods behind, at that time it was all a wooded area, um, instead of running back into the woods, no, he runs out into the parking lot. And, of course, Cherokee thought, oh, well, we're playing a game now. So he jumped onto the hood of the truck and launched himself onto the guy, and the guy rolled and rolled, and Cherokee pinned him. So, and that's where I came in as I see these cops, because the gentleman beside me had phoned the police while all this was going on. Um, and at the time, like, I hadn't been there in a while, but I had noticed that they had armed security driving in the little golf carts around the parking lot, and I thought it was kind of odd. So I, you know, I'm standing there, and I, I finished talking to the guy, and one of the officers comes over to me, and he goes, I'm thinking, at that point, I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's going to take my dog. My dog has attacked somebody, you know. I mean, being from Canada, and I, I've already had issues in the past at the borders. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my dog. And he comes over, he says, where did you get your dog trained? And I said, what do you mean trained? I can barely get him to sit, sit at the best of times, right? <laughs> he goes, no, honestly, where did you train him? I said, what do you mean train him? He says, well, to do something like this. I said, he's never been trained. I said, whatever he did, he did through instinct. I guess he's protecting the truck. He goes, we've been looking for this guy and his partner, which they caught um, for almost six months. Like uh, the truck stop had paid to have these armed security patrolling the lot because these guys have been breaking into trucks and stealing all electronics and whatnot out of the trucks. And uh, long story short, I ended up having my whole weekend paid for, all my meals. They put us up in a hotel. They fixed my truck while I was waiting on the weekend. And yeah, so a little bit of a reward at the end there because we're saving the money. They no longer have to have the armed security. But yeah. Did I, uh, Janet, did I ever tell you why I don't flatbed haul anymore? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, this, this is, this is, this is, this is a classic story. Um, I worked for a company called Northern Industrial Carriers. Out of oh, Africa. God. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <Yeah. laughs> Enough said. Yeah, no kidding. And after having two prior incidents, which I'll talk to on, on another podcast, I do have to say, this one was the highlight of my very, very short three-week career with them. <laughs> and I yeah. meant three-week. Um, but anyway, they had me take a load of steel, Fort McMurray shell plant. And uh, the, I guess my first indication and the first warning sign is all this jagged pieces of steel on a flatbed with absolutely nothing that's, uh, that was strapped or tarped. And I had to do that. And I obviously oh, learned how to do that on my short 30-minute video training. So, um, yeah, that was about it. And so I strapped this load as best as I could, 
and I'm on my way, and you know Highway 63. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, yes, yeah. Well, to get on the Highway 60 from Edmonton, you have to go on the, I can't remember the side road, you probably know it. And uh, I overshot it. I overshot the highway. And oh, yeah. I, I wasn't very astute at backing up at that time. And I decided I was going to back this massive flatbed load into a farmer's tiny little driveway. Yeah. And, and, and I did not make it. The load dropped into the ditch beside the road. The tractor was on top of the road. And now I'm in a heap of trouble. So back then, of course, you could write postage checks for things. Yeah. Right? Um, so my plan was, well, it's easy. I'll just get a flatbed truck and they'll be able to pull me out and I'll be fine. I'll be on my way. That was kind of my way of thinking. It didn't exactly work that way. I probably flagged down about, oh, I'd say at least half a dozen flatbed trucks. And because of the angle of how deep I was in the ditch with all this steel, so we're probably talking 80,000 pounds of steel, right? Um, they tried as they might, and they could not pull me out. So, of course, my worst fears are that the highways department or the police show up, and my worst fears came true. The highway department was the one that uh, that showed up, and they immediately start getting the pylons out and blocking everything, and I mean everything. And before long, there's a helicopter flying above, a news helicopter, and I'm on 6.30 Ched that morning. So the news <laughs> yeah. And uh, saying, yeah, there's a, there's a truck driver on such and such, and it uh, looks like he kind of went off the road, and, you know, uh, that's, uh, you know, don't go down that road and stuff. And, man, what a fiasco, a complete fiasco. So I didn't know what to do. Nobody really knew what to do. And this farmer came up to me in a, a pickup. He goes, I can get you out of that. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, my buddy owns uh, one of those larger combines. And I said, oh, okay, right on. And he asked me how much it costs and, and how much I was willing to pay him. And I, 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 at that point, there was just, there was no figure. I just needed to get out of there thinking I would save my job. Little did I know, they're watching this whole thing unfold uh, back at Northern Industrial Carriers on the radio. They're listening to it. So my ass is grass. Little did I know. But anyway, we're carrying on. So... It took another, oh, I don't know, a good hour or so, and I, I see this monster, monster combine, the biggest thing you've ever seen, you know, some of those big John Deere combines, you know, and he's got the longest tow rope I've ever seen in my entire life. It's got to be, my God, he's, he's, he's on one side of a farm, I'm on the other side of the road, and this tow rope is going all the way across, and it's really heavy duty, like that really heavy duty, and he hooks up to my truck, and like everybody's out there, they're just, just, I was a real spectacle. And how do I put this? I've never seen, when he starts pulling, I've never seen a road roll up like a carpet. Because when he was pulling me, what happened is the flatbed was coming up, but it was digging into the pavement, and it was just chewing up the pavement. And um, I uh, was obviously terminated, and they had a massive, massive bill. Massive, uh, unbelievable, but uh, that's why Bry Guy does not flatbed haul anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I wish I had a rocket because uh, the next song by GM Blacktop will tell you exactly how I felt. Here he is. Fled the scene of the crime. 
While running, she was stopped by another man. She cried out for the devil to save her. When the man admitted that he himself was the devil and stomped his feet on the ground to prove he had a cloven hoof, which the rock to this very day shows. Isn't that creepy? In South Carolina, the death of Julia Legere. In the 1800s, the Legeres were a well-to-do South Carolinian family that had homes on the mainland and at Esquito Island. The daughter, Julia, got sick, was pronounced dead, and was buried inside their family mausoleum. Years later, another member of the Legere family died. When their tomb was opened up, the remains of Julia were found outside of her coffin. The story says that Julia had been in a coma and had woken up to try and escape her tomb, but sadly died. After the first reopening of the Legere mausoleum, the door can't seem to stay shut. The story says that Julia had been in a coma and woken up to try and escape her tomb, but she sadly died. After the first reopening of the Legere mausoleum, the door can't seem to stay shut. The Legeres tried multiple different doors, and every single time, the door is found open. People believe that the ghost of Julia didn't want to be locked in that tomb any longer. In South Dakota, Walking Sam on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Purportedly over seven feet tall and very slim, Walking Sam is said to appear on the streets of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation at night, and he tries to convince teenagers to take their own lives. Whether or not Walking Sam is real, something tragic is truly going on at this reservation. From December 2014 to May 2015, there were 103 suicide attempts at Pine Ridge. So there might be some truth to that. Uh, in Tennessee, the boy in the bathroom at Pine Haven School. The Pine Haven School, located in Jamestown, is old and abandoned and is said to be haunted. A tragic story supposedly took place there where a boy was cornered by a group of bullies in the bathroom and shoved into a mirror, which shattered and killed him. To avoid getting caught committing the murder, the bullies decided to bury the body underneath the floorboards. Today, people say that if you go inside the school, you can see the reflection of the boy if you look in the mirror. Ooh, that just gives you the heebie-jeebies. And in Texas, the candy lady. In the early 1900s, children in an unnamed rural town of Texas started to go missing, and the residents blamed it on the candy lady. The story says that she would go around leaving candy on children's windows, and eventually she'd lure the kids out with notes attached promising more candy. The story picked up steam when a far farmer allegedly found rotten teeth on his farm, and later found the body of a boy with his pocket stuffed full of candy. While little is known about the origin of this story, some have speculated that the candy lady was very real, and that her real name was Clara Crane. Last but not least, in Utah, the curse of the Escalante Petrified Forest. And this one is really all too true. While it is illegal to take anything from the Escalante Petrified Forest State Park, there's a legend that says that anyone who takes pieces of petrified wood from the park will be cursed with bad luck, sickness, and accidents. Park manager Kendall Farnsworth stated in 2014 that he gets about a dozen packages every year containing a piece of wood from the park and apologetically uh, has letters detailing the sender's misfortunes. So there, I just figured out what we can do with the liberal government. We just got to get Trudeau to this damn park, eh, Will? Yeah, let him have a couple of gifts, you know? Yeah, 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 here you go, Trudeau. We'll just give you some beautiful petrified wood for yeah, your house. Same with Mr. Borden there. Yeah, yeah, there it is. There's a solution. We just got to go to the petrified forest. Look at that. So, okay, guys. Well, 
that's pretty much a wrap. Uh, we've got some pylon shout-outs for anybody that wants to uh, volunteer uh, their pylon shout-outs. And then we're going to get into some Brett Derner, uh, well, such an eclectic interview on, on eye-opener. Uh, before that, we'll just play one more song from Brent, and it's called Digital Vein. Power line, but 
you know, cost us not have any power for three hours, and that was at night, and I was sleeping in my room all sweaty and all that. Well, okay. Anyway, no more details about that, but let's pile on to my neighbors. God dang it. Oh, so that's oh, so that's a nasty pylon shout out. That's what you're you're saying, right? <laughs> yes, it's a very nasty one. Oh, okay. A I very, gotcha. very, yeah. I, I won't say anymore. Okay. Well, I've I've got I've got a a good red red pylon shout out to Tiana. She's uh, one of my dispatchers. She has been working really hard to get me loads in this uh, freight-deprived week, and she got me a load to Winnipeg, so I thank you, Tiana. Unfortunately, I'm going to be here tomorrow watching TV and taking Bandit out for a walk until I get down Saturday, but I still should give her a pylon shout-out, and she uh, is now a freak, I'm happy to say. So, anyway, we got one more song from GM Blacktop. When we come back, uh, we will get into the eye-opener show. And uh, his song, the very last of his songs, is called Diesel Kinda Guy. Diesel, kind guy. 
I'm a rebel chasing wild eye. I'm a diesel kind of guy. to the eye opener with Bry Guy, your host from the Highway Freaks podcast. And this is my stage. I ask the hard hitting questions, highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two. How about celebrities or recent people in the news? Maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets. Animal lovers, charities, or just that odd person out there making the headlines, or even something totally off the wall. So let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest. Hi, this is Bry Guy, and I'm your host of our new eye-opener show. And I'm very proud to have the rock legend, the god himself, Brett Derner. Now, I gave this some serious thought in our previous conversations on how to conduct this interview with my friend Brett. And this is the conclusion I came to. Now... I do realize in the offset that, uh, Brent, you told me prior to this interview you wanted me to focus on your life and your new band's endeavor is My Wicked Twin. However, like my friend, Darby Mills, formerly of the Headpins, she is always going to be linked to the Headpins. And I would be remiss in telling our freaks out there that you would have to share your life stories to a certain degree with your former band, Helix. Now, let's face it, buddy. There's a great deal of your life that was earlier monitored and what's created a great impact on you as the electric guitar aficionado that you became. In other words, Brent, I'm going to say this real lightly to you. Suck it up, Buttercup, because yeah. you're going to go down as that part of memory lane. That's, all right. quite, That's how it goes. Exactly. I believe that the man Helix was the true foundation of your success. It certainly doesn't define you as an artist, but it just it contributes to your foundation as uh, Brent the Dr. Derner. So let's open up some eyes today on the man, the myth, the rock legend known as Brent Derner. So let's start, obviously, with your childhood, because there's not a lot out there on Google that says what, you know, what Brent's childhood was like. So can you, can you kind of give me an idea of, of where we start with that, Brent? Well, I mean, I grew up on a farm. Okay. Same with Brian Vollmer. Yeah. Lead uh, singer of Helix. That's correct. And, uh, you know, we were just outside of Waterloo, Ontario. The closest thing to, to buy a pop or a bag of chips was the go-kart track. That was the only thing in the town of, or the village of Herbsville. So, you know, I, and then I used to work at, the go-kart track charging people 50 cents when they spun out when I was a kid and you know my twin brother got a set of drums for Christmas and we both started playing them all the time and then you know because we were like 10 or 11 years old he'd go they're my drums get off of them and I'd have to get off of them because they're his drums so I asked for a guitar for Christmas and got one so then I played guitar and he played drums and we had this uh, old barn out the back, more of a garage, a wooden garage, and we turned that into uh, our jam hall and and uh, just started to learn our chops and learn anything we could and 
started started playing in uh, cover bands, you know, uh, and learning chops. Okay. And do you guys remember your first band and, and when you actually, like, you know, got a gig, like, maybe at a high school or something like that? Uh, I played in a couple bands. Uh, they're all really forgettable, quite honestly. Uh, they, they were just playing cover songs. There was, you know, the songwriting wasn't even in the picture, you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, who do you who did you like that back then? Who were your influences that you said, God, I want to be like that guy? Well, you know, I think we got the Deep Purple Machine Head album for Christmas from one of my older brothers because I did uh-huh. have five brothers, right? Right. And uh, that was super inspiring. Uh, hearing uh, Ian Gillen uh, singing "Sweet Child in Time" and all that high screaming stuff. Right, right. And, uh, right. you know, that we had a bunch of Uriah Heap albums and actual vinyl albums back then. But, you know, we were rotten kids. I remember taking these uh, old uh, Beatles vinyl albums mm-hmm. when we were kids that, and all the other brothers had moved out. And there's Brian and I tossing them like Frisbees into the back corn cornfield where they would smash okay. into little pieces. Beatles albums. Beatles albums. Yeah, we didn't know any better. And nobody... Nobody told us any better. So you're we throwing about a hundred thousand dollars an album away back then. You didn't even know. Throw, yeah, throwing Beatles albums as far as they would go into the field, and they'd hit the ground and break into a hundred pieces, right? <laughs> no doubt. So, so then of course you joined Helix, and do you recall the year and what was the process of getting into it? How did that come about with your, you know, your the legend uh, Brian Vollmer as well? where you guys got together. How, can you elaborate on that? Sure. There was, uh, back in the day when people respected the music, uh, the musicians' union, the uh-huh. musicians' union had a, spe- uh, a stipulation that, that if you were going to leave a band, any band, that you had to replace yourself with another musician of the same caliber. Okay. So the original guitar player, Ron Watson, was leaving, we were all in the musicians' union because you had to be to play high schools, right? Right. And uh, um, so he said, hey, I'm going to leave this Helix Helix band, and uh, will you replace me? And I said, sure. Like, I'm not really busy with anything. So I go to the band practice hall, and some chick stand there and goes, she says, like, the band's upstairs in, in this garage that they rented. And, and this chick says, so who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Brent, I'm the new guitar player for Helix. She goes, f*** you. No, you're not. You're full of shit. All this, right? So then I go up there, and I'm standing in the band room, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm looking at them. I don't know anybody. And then finally, the guitar player, Ron, says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving the band, and this is my replacement. His name's Brent. And that's, that's basically how it all got started. Right. So, right. Uh, and then, then you meet Brian. And what were your impressions of Brian? He was a wild man, even then. A super excitable boy, I tell you. <laughs> in one asset, or attribute, I he should would, say. He would, he would uh, you know, so Ron leaves the band practice, and I start, and he goes, well, play something. So I say, well, you guys know this, or do you guys know that cover song? We're playing it away, and they're going, oh, and he's freaking out. He's going, oh, yeah, baby, yeah. Right? So, uh-huh. uh got really excited that I knew a bunch of stuff and that I was putting a little enthusiasm into it. Mm-hmm. That's 
how I noticed that he was uh, super excitable. Okay. So, yeah, and at that time, I was welding in a factory. I was a MIG welder in a factory for... Yeah. And Volmer was working at Schneider's Meat Packing Company, packing meat. Okay. We were the two guys that were making all the money and everybody else was broke, right? Right, right. So, uh... So we just practiced and made up three 45-minute sets of all cover songs and then uh, ran into this guy named Bill Seip, our manager. He became our manager, and uh, and we he, he started booking this into high schools and, and clubs, and you know. But that was back in the day when, when you played a, a club. You had to play from Monday to Saturday at the same club. Right, so, and right. then he had to play the Saturday afternoon matinee as well. So you're actually playing seven times in one week. So okay. this is how you become a better musician uh, all all around because you're constantly playing. Where if you if you weren't live on the road, there's no way you'd be playing three forty-five minute sets seven times in one week. You just wouldn't. Right. Right. So, so and we'd always try to keep our uh, our cover tunes. Uh, we try to pick what was the hottest new songs on the radio, and update our all of our cover songs. And then eventually we started writing songs. So that's we how that talk, whole mascot started. We talked about Helix, uh, the band's name, and you and I were, were going, "How the heck did you get this name?" And then you even said, "That's a stupid name for a band, wasn't it?" Back the Helix, the Helix the, Field Band, yeah. Yes, the Helix Field Band. How the hell did you guys get that name? Were you smoking some doobies and go, hey man, let's let's go with the Helix Field Band? Like, are we ever dumb, 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 dumb? Why, 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 why? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it was already named the Helix Field Band before I ever met them, and then was that time that I met them, they dropped the Field Band thing and just called it Helix. So. And, and you have a great story. Uh, we're going to get into one of your songs here from the Ashtray Sonatas in a minute. But you have a great story about Dale Shannon. I want you to tell me that when we come back. Okay. So uh, we're going to get Give Me Peace from the Madness off the Ashtray Sonatas. Check this out. Give me peace from the madness. Silent, don't you 
I just love that song. That's one of my favorites uh, off the Ashtray Sonata's album. Uh, so, Brent, you have a great story with Del Shannon, who did the original hit, Runaway. Um, and how did that kind of come about, where you guys were involved with him? don't know. Uh, like, our manager was a part of a booking agency here in, in Waterloo, Ontario. And they right. always booked the core. It was called the Coronet. It was the biggest three-story club in, in Kitchener. And somehow they booked um, they booked Del Shannon in there, and Del Shannon would fly in to whatever city anywhere, and they'd have a band waiting for them that has pre-learned all the songs, and he would show up the day of the gig, and the, you'd get one rehearsal for the whole show, and he'd go on live. That was it. And, uh, and what was scary about it is we learned the songs as they were on the record, and he okay. changed the arrangements and shit of the songs. Uh, was that because of the show? A, was that because he had a drinking problem that you alluded to? Mm, I don't know why he would want. Like, in my opinion, if you have a hit, don't f with it. Just right, right. Leave it the way it is and play it exactly the way it is. But I don't know why you would change up your own hit song. And he had lots and, of them. And Runaway was so. Big. In fact, if I recall, it was actually in some of the 50s movies. I believe it was in American Graffiti. I think yeah, that was and the, then, you know, so I noticed that he was he drank an incredible amount of booze. Like, it was frightening. I've never, and probably to this day, he was the guy that I saw him consume more alcohol than any other person I think I've ever seen. That says a lot. Uh, you know, uh, so at the at the coronet, we all we all had rooms. So Dell had his room, and I was beside him and mine with uh, our guitar player Paul. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, we're talking with him over supper and stuff after rehearsals. He goes, "It was really weird." He says, "You know, I'm riding around. I'm, I live in California, and I'm riding my 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 motocross bike around in the desert there. And I saw the guy sitting there, sitting still on the sand dune." And and he said, you know, 20 minutes later I came by and the guy hadn't moved. He said, so I drove over there on my bike and I realized that he had taken a shotgun and shot himself in the head with it and fell forward on the gun when he was crouched, right, or leaning or oh, sitting. Wow. And he said, yeah, I found this I found this dead guy and he blew his head off. So, and he was telling us, he was, he was pretty shook up about it. Right. And, you know, in the end... You know that Dell killed himself in the desert with a gun. How ironic is that? Yeah, almost, almost kind of poetic in, in some kind of a weird form, right? Like I don't know, yeah. it's weird. And then he'd say, uh, you know, uh, I said, so we 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 partied and drank, and uh, you know when we played the coronet, it was Monday through Saturday, six six sold out shows, right, with Dell Shannon. Uh -huh. And they would sit maybe 400 people in there or something, the old coronet. So all, every show was sold out. So anyway, we're drinking, and then after the first night, he says, yeah, come and get me in the morning, and we'll go have breakfast. So I knock on his door. He lets me in, and, and he's got, you know, those cheap glass glasses they give you in your hotel room. So he grabs, I don't know what it was, rye or whiskey or something, and he pours one of those glasses, three quarters full of rye. He pours a little Coke in there, no ice, everything's warm, and he just guzzles it. He goes, I just got to brush my teeth, and he 
changes into some clothes, pours another three-quarter glass of rye whiskey, another little, puts enough Coke in there just to color it that it's not raw. Sucks oh. that back. We go to the restaurant, but we have to cut through the bar now. The, like we're, we're going for breakfast, but it's already lunch hour, right? Because okay. we've been up all night, right? Okay. But we're walking through, the, we have to cut through the Starlight Lounge to get to where the restaurant is. It, again, in the same building. And we stop in the bar, he goes, just a sec. And I think he ordered four or six tequilas shots. Uh-huh. And he shot all six of them, and then we went for breakfast. <laughs> Tequila breakfast. Plus the rye. Yeah, plus, well, you, you have to have the rye as the orange juice, right? Yeah. So, uh, wow. Wow. And then, you know, we were, uh, I had a vial of uh, hash oil. Uh-huh. And, uh... And I was carrying around a blowtorch and a couple of knives, so we would do hot knives with the with the hash oil, right? Oh, he's got good old so, hot so, knives. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I was doing a hot knife in his room, and he goes, what the hell are you guys doing there? What is that? I said, it's hash oil. We're here to have a toke, right? He does a toke. He almost falls over, chokes half to death, and then we had to go on that night. I think this is the Tuesday night. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, the famous Bill Shannon, he comes on, he trips over something in the dark, smashes his guitar against the microphone, throws his guitar way out of tune, crash, bang, boom. And we start off with hats off to Larry, right? So he, he was just, and, he, and, he, and his voice was broken. He shouldn't have done a talk before he went on, eh? Uh, kind of not. Oh, man, it was a train wreck. Eh? So he had, like, he couldn't even get, the first song of the night started because the guitar was so out of tune because he bashed it against the mic stand while he did the pickle jar flip, right? Well, I can I can remember those knives because uh, my brother he uh, he would do uh, the the old hash with the knives over the burner and you know he he'd make the mistake of leaving the butter knives uh, on the kitchen counter and then we you know we'd have uh, our meat that evening at supper and my mother would go. Well, Robert, these knives aren't really what they're like used to be. I think they're starting to rust. <laughs> yeah, because everybody just turned the burner on in the stove and shoved the knives right in the burner. That's right. To get them hot, yeah. yeah. If you didn't yeah. have a blowtorch or a stove, like if you didn't have a stove, you took a propane torch with you, right? That's right. That's right. I remember it well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So you've made the statement, an album is never finished. Tell, tell me what that exactly means. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can always, always try to improve on all kinds of things, change lyrics, change the melody, but, you know, and do all these things. But, I, you know, you, you can't end up with a 15-minute song either, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, I don't right. know. I uh, There's always a sentence here or a note there or a solo here that you're never really happy with, but it'll do because you're, you're studying the hell out of it and people are people are just gonna listen to it once and it's gonna go by them. They're either gonna like the song or they're not. Doesn't matter, you know, these little notes here or there, but it's just, I think it's just a part of writing and recording songs, that's all I, but it's true, even when you, we, we even when you, even when you open up uh, my my software, my audio software, right? It says song. The song is never finished. It's just you just have to relinquish it to say that you think it's going to be finished, right? And that 
that would that, that would go as far as mixing audio in that too, right? Where I right. this could be better. I I don't know enough about that still, or you know, I'm half deaf from being in a band for too many years with uh, you know at 120 dB. So you have to kind of guess guess if if your ears are toast or is, is it the speakers or is it your just perception? Right. So let's let's jump ahead a bit um, before we get into another great song from the Ashray Sonata. Uh, you've toured the world in probably more than 13 countries, I believe. Uh, you were touring with bands of the likes of Kiss, Motorhead, my favorite band, White Snake, love that band, David Coverdale, uh, Nazareth. Quiet Riot, uh, you, uh, you know, Helix was actually also awarded with four gold and two platinum LPs. They reached number one in Sweden. I do got a question about this. Why do Swedish people like you guys so much when you were with Helix? I think uh, that would partially be of the planning ahead of our management. Uh, it was like in Sweden, no band. It seemed... To me, anyway, I, I could be wrong about this, but it seemed to me that no band would tour all of Sweden to hit all the small towns, mm -hmm. but we did. Yeah. And every yeah. time we went there, we didn't hit, hit just like Helsinki, I believe, is, uh, or oh, that's in Finland. But anyway, uh, Stockholm, like we didn't play just Stockholm, we played a bunch of smaller cities too. And, right. and then we also, we'd always make time to meet people. So after the show, we just say, hey, you know, if you want to shake hands or anything or say hello, we'll be off to the side of the stage and we'd meet half the freaking crowd. Like, for, we'd spend like an hour trying to meet everybody or just say right. hello. Okay. And but, that went a long ways. But there is some people that you guys, did, they did not like you and you did something absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Can you tell our freaks about uh, the English people, I think it was, that uh, you were calling oh, this thing? Oh, Christ. Yeah, so in England, at any, like, on, on the Kiss Tour, like every show was sold out. In whatever city there was in England, there was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 of them. And, uh, you know, as soon as the lights go out uh, and you start playing, the first thing, that the spit starts flying everywhere. Everybody starts spitting at the stage. And then they're, they're holding up the hand gesture, which, which is, means f*** off, right? Right, right. And they're doing all that and spitting and everything and thinking, oh, man, this is the worst gig we've ever played. It's, this, we're doing horrible. Everybody hates us. They think we suck. So they're all spitting the whole, and shit, garbage flying on the stage, everything, bob, uh, plastic bottles, you name it. So we finish the first song, and the crowd goes nuts. They go, yeah, 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 awesome, excellent. We go into the next song. All the spit starts flying, all the garbage starts flying again. And right. that song, same thing. They just loved us. Third song, same thing. Let the spit fly, eh? Right. So I got sick of that shit. A super soaker, right? Yeah, so then I bought a... Uh, I was looking, I was getting sick of getting spit on, so I went and bought a, bought a water pistol. And I pissed in it and put it on my amp, and I thought, the next bastard that, that spits on me, I'm going to take out in between songs. I'll go grab my, my squirt gun and just squirt him in the face with my piss, right? There you go. Take that, you f***er. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll you do it. it. I bet it did. I bet it did. And yet they liked it, you said. Yeah, they, they would spit all over you 
then at the end of the song, they were just eating it up. They absolutely loved us, but they just throw garbage shit at you. So then I'm thinking, man, that was the worst gig I think I've ever played. So then we're done playing, and Kiss comes on. Go, ladies and gentlemen, the loudest band in the world, Kiss, right? Right. It is the first dunk. Oh, spit starts flying. Garbage starts flying. The same thing. Exactly. And they did that to Kiss as well? Yeah, every song. Garbage flying. And Gene, the one song, you see this big, the big water bottle, plastic water bottle flies from mid crowd all the way forward. It's Gene right in the forehead while he's singing. Oh, right? no. Bounces off his head. He didn't even blink. He just kept singing. Well, that would be Gene, right? The ultimate professional. Well, they've so. been there before. They got spit on and everybody threw garbage at them and they knew what to expect were for me. I'd never mm. experienced that before because we always did well. So right. when you go to England, prepared to have be bombarded with garbage and spit. And, that's how, and, it, that's and, how it yeah. is. Spit and garbage. Wow. Wow. So, well, when we get back, Brett's going to talk to you about uh, a song that he submitted to CBC's Hockey Night in Canada. But this one, I love this one, Scary Go Round. While fake news is nothing new, the, the internet has made it easier than ever for fake news to spread and even happen in the first place. Here's
So that's a great song, Scary Go Round. Uh, in fact, Brent, do you want to tell me a little bit about it before we get into the Hockey Night in Canada thing? Well, Scary Go Round, just a statement on, you know, it's time to jump off. Someone stop the Scary Go Round. Uh, broken trail of uh, bro- bro- the broken hearted, uh, not broken hearted. I can't. Like, I don't run over these songs every day in my head. So I can't really right now think of what I wrote there for the lyrics, but it's definitely a, a statement on uh, 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 denying and lying in the streets. Another snowflake blows down the street and statues fall, but not history. This is about the people pulling down statues and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, so you pull down the statue, but the history remains the same. So all you did was ruin a statue, right? It's it's very indicative of what has happened with you know the the Black Lives Matter and how they were ripping down the statues there uh, recently and and uh, how we got to be politically correct now and you and I have talked a lot about that in detail in our conversations while I've uh, you know I've been driving down the road but you did submit a song to CBC's Hockey Night in Canada called Get Your Game On and what was the process and like, how, how did that kind of happen? Uh, somebody said, you know, the, the NHL is going to change their uh, theme song, and we're looking for, uh, they were looking for a new theme song for Hockey Night in Canada. And, you know, I think in the end, it was something like 78,000 people submitted songs, right? So, wow. of course, uh, and I don't even know what song we even ended up with, but I it most likely it was probably another orchestrated piece and not really a rock song, right? Uh, so, you know, uh, it's just about uh, you got to get your brain in tune with what you're about to do uh, if you're playing sports. So, you know, uh, it's like going on stage live. Everybody gets the heebie-jeebies just before they play. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you've played a thousand shows. It's the same with Helix. We would always, everybody get nervous and go, I got to have a piss before we go on the the road manager, go two minutes to show time and everybody would have to have a piss, right? Because <laughs> that's right. that nervous, nervous anticipation that you right. get. And then, you know, if you can just get 30 seconds into the first song, all that heebie-jeebies goes away and you rock. Go ahead and rock. But that's, again, that's what game on, get your games on about is getting your head into what you're about to do, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, that's what you need to do. you got to psych yourself up for something, you know, large and important. Right, right. So that's okay. what the song's about. So this, this is the end of our part one of our Brett Derner Eye Opener podcast. Uh, we're going to get to number two on uh, podcast number 40. So uh, Brett will be talking about lyrics and whatnot. So uh, Brett will get back to you.